This weekend, yesterday, a group of people gathered in a synagogue in Pittsburgh to worship God, just like we're doing here. And a gunman who said that he hates Jewish people came in and, by latest reports, killed 11 of them. One of them was 97 years old. And in addition to very important questions that are sometimes raised in polarizing ways these days about the need for armed security or death penalty or gun control and so, there are other questions that are more timeless and I think more troubling because they remind us that in our common humanity, we are up against something that human ingenuity and politics and ideology cannot seem to fix. An author named Fleming Rutledge put it like this, something is wrong with the world and needs to be set right. And we wonder when stories like this uh, gain our attention, which they do periodically, where is God? And we wonder if life can be snuffed out so suddenly and with so much hatred and so unfairly, then does life actually mean anything anyway? And will there ever be justice, really? And how should we respond? And for people who follow Jesus, such questions always lead, oddly, to the cross where Jesus died, to this place where we believe somehow suffering and God and death have met. People have died every day of recorded history, and yet one death stands out in a way that is quite unique. One day a man died. And ever since then, time has been divided up into the people who lived before him and the people who came after him. The life of every human being now is dated from the death of that one man. Every day in our world, people die. About two every second, 105 every minute, 56 million a year, every way imaginable, death, violence, disaster, old age. Last year, 154 people died of selfie-related accidents. But one day... A man died for you, a good man, very good man, the best man, died a hard death, a very hard death, the worst death, out of love for you, a very great love. In our day, there's a big question about whether we live in a story, whether our universe has any meaning, or is just kind of a cosmic accident whether you were made by a God and the object of His self-sacrificing love, or whether that idea is just folly. One day, the Apostle Paul was writing to the church at Corinth. We're looking at this letter as a church, and, and he put it like this, For the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. Paul here divides all humanity into two groups of people. He says, there are those who are perishing and there are those who are being saved. And you understand this is not kind of a crude threat just to get people to endorse a particular religion. It is not a call to manipulate people to make some kind of an emotional commitment. It is an observation that you are an unceasing spiritual being. And you will either move toward God in all that is good and noble and holy, or you will move the other way. 
And Paul says that those who are being saved are being saved not by themselves, but by God, by the power of God. But that that power comes unexpectedly through a cross, through the cross. It's a measure of the significance of Jesus' death that we would never refer to other means of death that way. We would never talk about the gun or the knife or the gallows because nobody would know which one that you mean. But if anybody says the cross, even though countless thousands of people died on countless thousands of crosses, everybody knows exactly whose cross you're talking about. This Jesus was a good man. I know hardly anybody who would argue about this. A lot of what we have come to admire in our world about humility or about the virtue of forgiveness or about agape love, particularly love for the marginalized, for the vulnerable, for the leper, for the beggar, for the sinner, comes to us primarily through this man's life and teaching. He was not political. He was not even really religious in the conventional sense. But his message of devotion to God was threatening to both institutions as he knew it would be. And ironically, it was Rome, Earth's greatest form of government, that elected to crucify him. Rome was very good at teaching people how to die. But this is crucial. All four Gospels record this. Jesus himself insisted that crucifixion was not something that anybody was doing to him but rather it was something that he himself chose. He said, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down, and I have authority to take it up again. This command I received from my Father. Nobody has ever said things like this. He was executed on a cross by the Romans on a Friday, and that was the end of his story until three days later when it was not. And word got around that Jesus had flunked death. And his followers began to go back and think about what he had taught and how he had lived. And they began to re-examine those Hebrew scriptures that we share with the people in that synagogue in Pittsburgh. And they began to ask God for guidance, and it began to dawn on them that the cross, which of course at first looked like disaster, failure, humiliation, the end, was instead kind of like the missing piece of a puzzle. It pulled everything together. It made sense of everything in an odd way. Nobody could have ever predicted it, and yet once you got it, it was inevitable. In his own life and teaching, Jesus was what might be called the great reversal. Blessed are those that the world thinks is unblessed. The least are the most. The poor are the rich. The first are the last. you got to die in order to live. In weakness is strength. In serving is greatness. And now his cross becomes kind of the great exchange where this reversal happens, where it can happen for any human being. I come here and I exchange my guilt for his innocence and my woundedness for his healing, and my weakness for his strength, and my brokenness for his wholeness, and, and my death for his life. The cross says, the message of the cross, that something is wrong with this world, 
and needs to be set right, and only God could do it, and he does it strangely, above all, at a cross. Now, we're beginning this series called Cross-Examine, where we try to examine our life and our world and our faith, and so, in light of the cross. And today, all I want to do is to tell you the message of the cross as best I can. One of the songs that we sing, that we just sang, called The Passion, that I love, has a number of phrases right out of the Bible about the meaning of the cross, and I want to just try to walk through as best I can what some of them mean, and then I want to invite you to make the great exchange. I want to invite you today to come to the cross and to give your life to this man, to lay it down, to let it go, to follow him with everything you have so that you may be one of those who are being saved and not one of those who are perishing. Here then is the message of the cross, the meaning of the cross. At the cross, our guilt is declared pardoned. Jesus' friend Peter, who knew all about guilt and knew all about the cross, says this about the crucifixion. When they hurled insults at Jesus, he did not retaliate. When he suffered, he made no threats. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By his wounds, you have been healed. We all know about guilt. We don't like thinking about it. We all know. Uh, Many years ago, we had moved from California to live in Chicago, and I was going to go speak at our new church for the first time. And this was a big deal. There would be a lot of people there. I was eager to try to do as well as I could. And I prepped a little too long, so I was a little late when I left our house to drive to the church. And I was only about six blocks from the house when I saw flashing red lights in the rearview mirror of my car on my way to the church where I worked to preach the gospel. And I was in a big hurry, so I pulled over quickly, but the officer just sat in his squad car for a while, like they do sometimes. And I was in a rush, so I thought I would get out and go talk to him, save him the trip to my car. They kind of don't like it when, they, when you do that. And he got on his loudspeaker and said, get back in your car. So I did, and waited for what felt like a long time. And finally, he walked slowly over, and I said to him, officer, I'm a pastor. I work at a church. I got to preach there soon. I'm running late. So let me save you some time. I'm guilty. I know I'm guilty. You know I'm guilty. We both know I'm guilty. So whatever you got to do, do it quickly because I'm guilty, 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 guilty. <laughs> and he said, oh, this is very interesting. I haven't said anything. I haven't even told you why it is that I pulled you over. And all I can say before I say a word, all you can say is, I'm guilty, 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 guilty. Why are you so eager to confess, Pastor? What is it that you're guilty of? And I thought, this is great. 10,000 police in Chicago, and I get Columbo. I said, officer, I'm on my way to church. I got to preach there. I'm a pastor. So when I said, I'm guilty, I was speaking theologically. You know, I'm guilty, you're guilty, we're all guilty, really, when it comes right down to it, don't you think, officer? And he asked to see my license, and I showed it to him because I had just moved from California. He said, oh, you're from California. I might have known. The reason I stopped you is there's a stop sign behind us. When you came to it, your car only slowed down, didn't stop, and just rolled right on through. 
Now, I don't know what they do in California. In California, maybe that's okay, but this is Illinois. And in Illinois, stop means stop. And I said, you must be so proud of your state. And we had a very interesting conversation about political corruption in Illinois, and the whole thing didn't go well from there, and I ended up moving back here to California. But <laughs> you all know what that's like when you look in the rearview mirror and you see those flashing lights, and it doesn't just happen when you drive. The message of the cross is something is wrong with this world, and it needs to be set right. But that something is not just outside of us. It's not just or even primarily something that economics or politics or ideology is not primarily technological or biological. It is wrongness and ill will and moral failure inside me and you. And we know this. And it's not just missed stop signs. It's deceit turning a blind eye to the poor day after day, bad parenting, cruelty, lust, gossip, judgment, racial injustice, hate. And it's in here. It's not just out there. But also the message of the cross is that in Jesus, on the cross, God had done something nobody could ever have expected. Followers of Jesus noticed something as they puzzled over the cross. When Jesus was crucified, everybody was guilty. Pilate was guilty of great injustice. The Pharisees were guilty of envy. The soldiers were guilty of cruelty. The crowds were guilty of mockery. Even the disciples were guilty of cowardice and denial and betrayal. Everybody was guilty, 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 guilty. And Jesus was the only innocent one. But if he'd avoided the cross, if he'd have led the crowds in some great revolution or simply run away and they'd all gotten mad and revolted, Rome would have come down with an iron fist, there would have been blood everywhere. And so instead, he went to the cross. He allowed himself to be judged guilty so that the blow would fall on him alone. And over time, they came to see that this had staggering implications that in the cross we see the vast guilt of human sin, ugliness, and violence, and injustice, and hatred. But we also see God's determination in Jesus to offer mercy and forgiveness at ultimate cost to himself when he's dying to the people that killed him. And if you come to the cross and make this great exchange, you don't have to go through your life anymore or your death worrying about flashing lights in the rearview mirror. Paul said, there is therefore now, after the cross, no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. One day, a man died for you. This is the message of the cross. In the cross, Jesus' blood gives us life. His friend John wrote these words, if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, purifies us from all sin. 
Now, that's kind of a strange image for us, I know. The New Testament, if you know much about the Bible, is filled with references to the blood of Jesus. The writer of Acts says that the church was bought with his blood. Paul says that we have been reconciled to God and each other through his blood. The writer of Hebrews says that without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. And we live in a pretty bloodless world. We, we stay pretty far away from butcher shops and so. And so in our day, people will sometimes find that image read to be gruesome or distasteful, and I understand. But the ancient world was a bloody place. They knew all about blood, and people were vividly aware that it was through death, through the eating of dead animals or dead plants, that living creatures were given life, that life came through death. They were very aware of this. And so the practice of sacrifice, offering these sacrifices that were going to be eaten to the gods, was universal in the ancient world. And one of the striking teachings that came through Jesus' people, through Israel, through the prophets, was that this ritual of sacrifice was not at its heart what God really wanted from the human race. The psalmist says, you do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offering. My sacrifice, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart. You, God, will not desire. That's what God wanted most of all, and that's what on the cross Jesus somehow offers. On the cross, Jesus, when it says he shed his blood, it means simply he gave his life. He offered the sacrifice that would end all sacrifices. On the cross, he became the lamb that was slain. Out of sacrifice comes life. We have a friend named Max who was a medic during World War II, and he would have to go into battlefields where soldiers lay and, and try to save them, often with blood transfusions as they lay there dying. Medics like Max were charged to do this, not only with allied soldiers from the U.S. and so, but also to save the lives of soldiers who were fighting for Nazi Germany that were dying. But they devised a system. Max told me about this once. I thought it was quite clever. They would save blood that had been given to them by donors with a Jewish name. And when there was a Nazi soldier dying from loss of blood, Max would say, you can be saved, but only if you are willing to receive blood from a Jewish donor. And he said, sometimes the soldier in his stubbornness and pride would say, no, I'd rather die. And they'd let him pass out, and then they would save him anyway. Jesus' followers, as they reflected on the cross, came to realize that his blood poured out, that is, his life poured out, was God's own sacrifice, God's own very costly promise to forgive and to cleanse. And it was, as a matter of history, in fact, the spread of the message of the cross that stopped the practice of the sacrifice of animals throughout the ancient Mediterranean world. One day a man died for you. This is the message of the cross. Through the cross, the grave is overthrown. Part of the message of the cross is that there is a great battle going on in our world amongst vast powers. And in our hearts somewhere we know this. Good and evil. Guilt and redemption. Love and hate heaven and hell, and one of those powers is death. Death's an awful thing. 
There was a study done a few decades ago of sympathy cards. Often when somebody dies, we will send the family a sympathy card. When someone dies and we send a sympathy card, guess what word is never used on the card? Death. Never says, I'm so sorry that this person died. Because it's just too ugly a word. We'll find a nicer way of saying it. We all know in our hearts, death is too much for us. Another power is named by the Bible, sin. Sin's often trivialized in our day, but we saw it yesterday in Pittsburgh. The writer Lance Morrow has a fascinating essay on the difference between two words, wrong and evil. True confession for a moment. How many of you have ever told somebody, friend, sibling, parents, boss, somebody, you're wrong? Anybody here? How many have ever told somebody you're evil? Don't raise your hands on that one. I don't even want to know. Wrong suggests an error that can be fixed. A computer goes wrong. Toaster goes wrong. Evil is different. Computer doesn't go evil. Only people do that. Evil is too much for us. The word evil tells us, reminds us of what we know. We live in a universe where we are not in control. What happened in that synagogue yesterday was not just wrong, it was evil. And this is why Paul says, our struggle is not against flesh and blood. People keep getting this wrong. We think it is. Your enemy is not people. Whatever their race or creed or sexuality, or color, or behavior. Something is wrong with the world and needs to be fixed. And the cross is the place somehow where the great destructive powers, sin, guilt, death, sought to crush Jesus and all that is good through cruelty and hate, but they did not realize, they did not realize that he, that carpenter, that rabbi, could absorb all they had and triumph by loving and forgiving to the end. They did their worst, and God defeated them, not through coercive power or mutual hatred, but with suffering love. And so Paul says that Jesus, having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them, by the cross. There are forces in this world too much for any individual. Political systems, broken cultures, idea systems, the power of rampant addiction, which is simply demonic in the destruction that it yields, idolatries, spiritual forces that are real but hard to name, and they get people to throw away and damn their own lives in the most trivial ways. Just watch TV, use porn, numb myself with drink, worship money, tolerate deception, cherish bitterness, live cynical, until you die a gilded parody of who you were supposed to be and you never even know. But Paul says on the cross these powers met their match. That Jesus' power to absorb suffering and still love was stronger than their power to inflict suffering and still hate. None of the rulers of this age understood it. For if they had, they would not have crucified 
the Lord of glory. Who could make this up? They could stop his lungs from breathing, couldn't stop his heart from loving. They didn't know. They didn't know. On the cross, really, death died. Hate died. Sin died. Love won. So at the cross, I exchange all of my many defeats for this one great victory. One day, a man died for you. This is the message of the cross. On the cross, we see the measure of God's love for us. We all love stories. This is part of what it means to be human. And the story we love the most, the one that keeps coming back, is the story that one day a man died for somebody else, died for somebody he loved very much. And that's the story of Saving Private Ryan and Les Miserables and A Tale of Two Cities and a thousand other stories. When our children were very small, we were on a long car ride once, and they were getting sleepy. And my wife was glad because she was home with them full time in those days. And if they all went to sleep, it meant we could have a few moments of peace and quiet in the car. And so to lull them to sleep, I told them a story, a story about a prince who was brave and handsome, but quite haughty, and his horse, who was noble and humble and loved that prince way more than the prince deserved. And it's a really good story, but I got a little carried away. And at the climax of the story, there was a great battle where there was an arrow headed for the prince, and it would have killed him, but the noble horse jumped in the way and took that arrow in his own heart. And the prince realized at the end how good and noble his friend horse was, but now it was too late, and the horse died in the prince's arms. And the kids were sobbing in the back seat of the car. And Nancy said, really, the horse died? You had to make the horse die? I could have gotten a few moments of peace with the kids sleeping, but oh, no, no. You, Mr. Look at me, the storyteller, you had to break their hearts by making the horse die. It's the way the story goes. And the message of the cross is the reason this story is inescapable, the reason that it is embedded in our literature is that it is embedded in our universe and it is embedded in our hearts. Paul said, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his love for us in this, while we were still sinners. Christ died for us. Jesus died for everybody. Jesus died for those people who were shot in that synagogue yesterday. Jesus died for that man who shot those people in that synagogue yesterday. I don't understand that love. Wherever you are, wherever you think you are on the moral scale of humanity, he died out of love for you. At the cross, he exchanges his death for our life. Out of his love, one day, a man died for you. Another unique thing about Jesus' death is that it brings people to a decision, a crossroads like no other death. 
And, and for 2,000 years now, people have been hearing the message of the cross and then kind of unexpectedly offered, it faces them with a decision. How will I respond to this? What will I do? How will I live my life now? What will my posture be towards this man? And some people reject the message and call it folly. And some people procrastinate. Some people find ways to distract themselves. We're real good at that. But some people say yes. They come to the cross and they bend their knee. And they give their heart. And they surrender their lives to this man. And I want to invite you to do that today. To meet him at the cross. To make the great exchange. His life for yours. There's a little card that you got when you came in. And you can pull it out now. It just says, I have decided to follow Jesus. And there's a statement that Paul made a couple thousand years ago. And this can be you. He said, I have been crucified with Christ and I, my ego, my selfish life, I no longer live, but Christ lives in me. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. And this can be your crucifixion with Jesus day. You simply make this commitment. I no longer am in charge of my own life. I identify with Jesus. I ask him to forgive me through the cross and become my guide and my companion and my friend. And you can do that today. Now, if you have already done this, you do not need to do it again. In some churches, some people get anxious about God and they keep converting just to be on the safe side. You do not have to do that. It's kind of like getting married. Once is enough. But you may want to ask God's help today to renew your devotion and to renew your love, and He'd love to do that. But it may be that you've never made the great exchange. And today is your day. And if you're making that decision, I want to invite you to sign on the dotted line, and you can take this card home and keep it with you in your Bible someplace. And then, gang, in a few weeks, we're going to baptize folks. We're going to celebrate baptism, and we're going to have a cross up like this at every one of our venues, wherever you are listening to this. And we're going to invite everybody who's getting baptized to write down their sins on a piece of paper and before they get baptized to pin them to this cross as an expression of the reality that in the cross our sin is forgiven and we have been set free and there is therefore now no condemnation in Christ Jesus. And so I want to invite you to make the great exchange right now. Would you... Bow your heads and pray together with me. And if you want to give your life to Jesus today, you can simply say words like these words. Jesus, now today I meet you at the cross. I marvel at the cross. I lay down my sin and my guilt and my burden and my old life at the cross. I confess and repent of my ego. I ask you to forgive me and to heal my wounds. 
Jesus, I put you in charge of my life. And I will be your follower in this life as you enable me. And then your friend forever and ever. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.